Hi everyone. <laughs> so I am, as Kirk said, Natasha. And for those of you who are really worried because you may have never seen me before, you might know me better as Jess's sister. <laughs> um, but it is a huge privilege to be speaking to you all today. And so thank you very much to Kirk and Nick for giving me this incredible opportunity. Um, and also to my incredible YADS or young adults family who are always very encouraging. And of course to God that we're all gathering before today because he's given me these words and I'm hoping to impart his wisdom to you through this. So after a really incredible baptism Sunday last week, we're now powering on through the year. We've actually ended up in March somehow this week, which is slightly terrifying. Uh, and we've also left summer behind and we've moved into autumn, which doesn't really mean much in Brisbane, but it's still very exciting. Um, but we're approaching, as Kirk was saying, one of those most really sacred times in the Christian calendar. And it's Lent, or we're approaching Easter and we're technically in the period of Lent, which is the 40 days that lead up to Easter. And Lent, the, the old English word for Lent was like lengthen or lenten, which means lengthen. And it was supposed to signify the time leading up to Easter where the days begin to lengthen because it's spring. But as everyone in the room will have figured out, they didn't really think about Australia or the Southern Hemisphere because we're in fact in autumn and the days are shortening. But, you know, so instead of being short, it's Lent, lengthen. Um, but we'll get there. <laughs> So the traditional 40 days of Lent, if you like, is modelled on the 40 days that Jesus spent in the wilderness being tempted by the devil and preparing for his public ministry. And so in the same way, we spend this time in the lead up to Easter preparing our hearts to receive his ministry that he had on earth. So we're seeking this increased appreciation of what Christ went through in his ministry. It's a time for repentance. It's a time for renewal. And it's about thinking about Jesus in his lead up to the time on the cross. Um, Jesus and his lead up to the cross is really where our faith stands. It's what sets our faith apart. And he is our, our only hope, the only hope that our, our faith brings. And he's our promise, as we hear in Revelations later on in the Bible. I don't know if I'm getting feedback. Or, yeah. <laughs> um, he's our promise that one day all our tears shall be wiped away. And we read that in Revelation. So while we're on the topic of tears, um, or perhaps the lack thereof that we're hoping for one day, I thought I'd share a bit of a personal experience, which hopefully won't require any crying, but we'll see. So in January, I finished my undergraduate degree and I started a new degree, which was medicine, as Kirk has said, which sounds really fancy, but I don't know if I'd necessarily recommend it as a career change. <laughs> um, and I really didn't cope very well with the start of that season. And admittedly, probably not still coping that well, but we're getting there. So I started, I was very excited, sort of. Um, and I went in and there was just this huge workload that I was expecting, but I probably wasn't really ready for it. And it was the challenge of this workload, like who would have guessed the human body is pretty complex and they have a lot to teach us. But you know, there I was, not really coping well. I was, I was very stressed, my mental health was definitely suffering, um, and there was a disappointment of, of being so ready for this new step and then getting there and feeling like it just didn't really click, it didn't really fall into place like I was hoping. And it was this sort of frustration that seemingly God had led me down this path, you know, we've, we've been through uni, we've been through school, we've been, everything had sort of lined up to get there. You sit the exams, you meet people along the way, and you feel like, yes, like this is definitely the path that I'm meant to be following. And it felt like I finally got there, and then God just left me on the doorstep. 
That's what it felt like. And so I went from being this, this stress is building, the backlog of work is building up behind me, which just adds to the stress. Mental health is suffering. I'm not coping at all. There were lots of tears involved on <laughs> today. Um, and I just felt like I needed that reassurance from God, you know, the reassurance that, that this was the path forward. But instead, what I was left feeling was like I was lost, like I was just there alone, and like I was just adrift now, aimlessly, not sure of where to go. Now, in the whole scheme of things, what I experienced is just a blip on the radar. You know, it's, and I acknowledge that. A lot of people um, suffer and experience things day in, day out that are so significant and so huge and that we can not even begin to imagine what they must be experiencing. You know, we experience physical, mental, and emotional pain, as Kirk was saying. Um, we experience disappointment with others. We experience disappointment with ourselves. We experience loneliness purposelessness, um, you name it, someone has experienced it and felt it. And I'm sure that everyone at some point in this room has really just felt like occasionally, is it all even worth it anymore? What am I even going towards? We question God, we question his plan for us. We question if he's even there, does he even care what's going on? And the thing is that we might really know what we're going through, but we never really know what other people are going through. I mean, your spouse, your best friend, your family, you get the idea. You get little spillovers of their emotions. You can, you can tell when something's not right, but do we ever really know what it's like to be going on and what's going on in, inside their head? And C.S. Lewis is one of my favourite Christian authors. He writes on this topic in Me Christianity, and he says, what can you ever really know of other people's souls? Their temptations, their opportunities, their struggles. Only one soul in the whole of creation do you know, and it's the one whose fate is placed in your hands, i.e. your own. If there is a God, and we believe there is, you are, in a sense, alone with him. Two souls connecting, and no other will you get to experience. And so while we can talk about the anguish that we experience on earth together, the only people who really know what you're really experiencing, how deep that feeling is, is you and your creator. And so, while we're all feeling very sorry for ourselves and wallowing around in our grief, let us turn to one of the most joyful books in the Bible, Lamentations. <laughs> now, I know what you're all thinking, Lamentations, Tash, it's my favorite book of the Bible, you know, it's only five chapters, I've got it memorized, you know, you're all ready to go, which I, I'm very impressed by everyone. But if anyone's not quite up to speed, which let's be honest, I wasn't either, we're at a time when Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonians, so sort of like warring countries. You know, we, we don't really experience this in Australia, but we can sort of imagine what it must be like. And their whole town, their whole people, their culture has been overrun. They've been decimated, they've been destroyed. And it's generally attributed to Jeremiah, but technically we don't know who the author is. And so the Israelites have been conquered. And their land and their community is really key to their connection with God. And so suddenly, they're feeling these, these people of faith, God's chosen people, are bringing up this lament to God. They're, they're saying, God, how could you allow such devastation to our people, our friends, our homeland, our country, when you're meant to be our God, we're meant to be your people? And so in Lamentations chapter 3, we read, this is one of the laments, I am the man who has seen affliction by the rod of the Lord's wrath. He has driven me away and made me walk in darkness rather than light. Indeed, he has turned his hand against me again and again, 
all day long. So there's little doubt that the Israelites are suffering. There's little doubt that they're confused. There's little doubt that they're frustrated with what seemingly God is allowing to happen to them. And I think we all get to that place where something is happening and it's just like, God, don't you understand what's happening? Like, don't you want to move in this situation? How can you let this happen on your watch? But then the tone kind of changes in each of these chapters of Lamentations. As they finish a lament, they then tag on something at the end. This is now in verse 19 of the same lament. I remember my affliction and my wandering, the bitterness. I well remember them and my soul is downcast within me. Yet, yet this is what I call to mind and therefore I have hope. Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to myself, the Lord is my portion and I will wait for him. We'll never really know what it felt like to be those Israelites. As we said, we only have our own feelings for reference and we'll never really know what was going on inside their mind. But do we, like the Israelites, always turn our grief and our pain and our frustration with God into a renewal of our affirmation of our faith? I feel, at least in my experience, I often turn to God crying out for an explanation I feel frustrated. But instead, what the Israelites have done here is they've turned to God with faith and despite their circumstances, they've entrusted that inmost being of their feeling to the one who really knows what it's like. He knows exactly what's going on inside their minds. And should we not therefore take their lead and instead of questioning God's plan, believe that his plan is still at work and really ask him to bring that plan forth? Try to draw nearer to him to understand from his perspective and not move away instead in anger. Now, David, in Psalm 61, verse 2, he says, From the end of the earth, I call to you when my heart is faint. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. When my heart is faint, when I suffer, when this earth leaves me feeling disappointed and confused and frustrated, when I feel that I cannot possibly go on, lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And we note that this, this prayer, this, this cry out in Psalms is not, don't just point me out to the rock that's higher than I, don't just tell me that it's there. Take me by the hand and walk with me. Lead me there. Don't, don't leave me on the way, take me all the way there. No matter the frustration, no matter the pain, lead me to that rock that is higher than I, that is higher than my suffering. And we note also that it's not remove all my circumstances or the land on which I currently stand and and make me appear on the rock that's over there. There might be a thousand kilometers between you and the rock. And there might also be four mountain ranges. You may have to go deep sea diving, I don't know, cave swimming. You might have to cross the deserts, but there is that rock. At some point, you may even feel like you're getting close and then you, for some reason, turn around, walk 500 k's in the opposite direction and go around in circles, but you're still going there. The path may not be what we want it to be, but he's still leading you. He's taking you by the hand. But then again, why do we even want to get closer to that rock? What what does this God, this lofty, far-off, sort of cosmic, we don't really know, know of our suffering? 
Why would we even want to take that path if it's going to be tough? We're going to be in the trenches. We're going to be suffering here on earth. It certainly feels that way. Well, seeing as we're all on this journey now, I've dragged you along with me. Imagine we're sweaty, we're tired, we're frustrated with God. But sometimes I feel like the best advice comes while we're on the road. And the good experience or the good reason is that while I said before that our souls are a little bit alone and that we're not really connected to our fellow brothers and sisters on this walk, the good news is we're not actually walking that path alone. There's someone walking with us whose name literally means God with us, Emmanuel, Jesus. He knows what it's like to suffer. I mean, as much as he is that rock that we're walking towards, he's also been further into every valley that we're going to encounter along the way and deeper than we could imagine. He knows what it's like. And with every step, with every small battle that you face along the way when he's with you, he's saying, follow me deeper, follow me higher. I'll take you to that rock. I'll walk with you every step of the way because I know the way, because I am the way. He truly does know that narrow, that hard, that twisting road of earthly suffering. You know, we read in the gospel that Jesus wept over his people's sin. He wept over Jerusalem. This is in Matthew 9, verse 36. We read, his heart broke and was filled with compassion for his people because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. He truly felt, felt for these people that he was supposed to be leading. His ministry was, if anything, a very tearful one. In Hebrews 5 verse 7, we read a recap. During his earthly life, Jesus offered prayers and appeals with loud cries and tears to the one who could save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverent submission. But not only was it the wider community of, of people on earth who brought Jesus great anguish during his life here, but his own disciples, the ones that he lived with, the ones that he loved, also caused him a huge amount of frustration and pain, we can imagine. So this is a story that I'm sure you all know. So Jesus calms the storm. This is in Mark chapter 4. So Jesus is on a boat with his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, and um, good old Jesus is sleeping. So we pick up in verse 37. A furious squall came up, and the waves broke over the boat so that it was nearly swamped. Jesus was up in the stern, sleeping on a cushion. It sounds very, very comfortable up there. The disciples woke him and they said to him, Teacher, don't you care if we drown? He got up, rebuked the wind and waves and said to his disciples, Why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? His own disciples, and, and we remember that most of them were experienced fishermen and they're on a boat so they should be in their element. They're in the middle of suffering, quite literally, a storm in life. And they turn to Jesus and they question God, Jesus, don't you even care what we're experiencing? Don't you realize what we're going through? Why aren't you doing something? And we do the same, or at least I have no doubt that I do the same. I doubt where God is in my situation. And I feel that either God doesn't understand or he doesn't care or he just can't be bothered sometimes. It feels like he's just sleeping there in the stern, like, yeah, you handle it and I'll wake up when it's all better. But then as with the disciples... Of course Jesus cared. Of course he was in control. And in that circumstance, we do see him deal with the problem. But then he turns to them and he says, I imagine very quietly, and with, you can just feel the pain that he must be experiencing. Like, these are the disciples who've seen what he can do. 
that he's been with so closely and he's here to have to lead a whole global nation towards God and the ones that he's been with closest still seemingly don't have faith in him. He turns and says, where is your faith? You know, he's here to lead us all back to God and yet he was struggling to even lead the 12 that were with him. Jesus too suffered, but he knows what it's like to ride out these storms. We know it's hard to sometimes keep sight of him in the storm, but he's still there, even if he's tucked up in the stern on a cushion. He might be away from view, but he's in that same situation. He's facing the same danger, even if we don't see him. He's not uncaring. He's not unmoved. He's right there with you, walking on that path towards that rock. And then to take suffering to an even deeper level, we read in Mark 8, verse 31. This is after Jesus acknowledges that he is the Messiah. Jesus began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. Can you imagine the burden of that knowledge? I mean, we, we, we know that we're not Jesus, obviously, but the burden of knowing what's coming for you, that you're about to face rejection, persecution, and ultimately death. You're going to be removed from God's presence, so to speak. And this is all for us, us sinners who don't deserve it. It's a weight that we'll never bear because Jesus bore it for us, but it's still a weight that he had to bear. And this led to, obviously, his ultimate sacrifice on the cross. You know, Jesus' mission in coming to earth was really to alleviate the human suffering that we have, in some ways, put ourselves in that situation. And his path, his journey to that higher, secure destination, undoubtedly ran through Calvary. He ran through death itself. But because he knows that path, because he's walked that path, he leads us on a different path, and one that doesn't need to go there. He's walking through our suffering to guarantee that assurance that our faith brings, that one day we will get to that rock that's higher than us. He, he well and truly understands our circumstances. He understands the anguish of whatever it is that you're going through. But through this experience, when we feel anguish, when we feel pain, when we feel confused and frustrated with God, it's that invitation to draw into Christ's likeness. He's saying, come closer, I understand, I've been here, let's walk together. He is the only one who, who understands our suffering so intimately. He's that other soul with which yours can communicate. Now, Paul writes to the Philippians in chapter 3, verse 10. He says, I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead, forgetting what is behind and straining towards what is ahead, I press on towards the goal for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. So let us take our suffering as an invitation to continue striving on that journey, heading heavenward, going higher, going deeper. When trouble comes, let's not just put our frustration onto God, but let's turn to God. Let's desire to be led deeper on that journey with him. Let's hold up those circumstances in prayer, not just the frustration associated with them, but the circumstance itself. Let his presence give you rest on that journey. You're not alone. He's walking with you. He's been there. Let us grow closer to him and know that he is, in fact, right alongside us. Even when it seems dark, even when it seems like there's no hope, 
He's just preparing the harvest. It doesn't matter if it's happening at night. It'll still come. And Paul writes, and we reflect on those words, I want to know Christ. Let us seek his mind, not our own. Let's set our thoughts on things above. Let him bring that clarity, that hope, that fulfillment, even when we're just feeling confused, disappointed, frustrated. Let's go on our walk with Christ towards that cross in the season as we prepare for Easter. Let's find renewed and deepened understanding of what he experienced because we experience similar things. And let him, no matter the circumstance, carry you through the valleys, over the mountaintops, to that rock that is higher than us. So let's take this unpleasantness that we experience in earthly life as that invitation to draw closer and closer to Christ. And may all of these afflictions that we experience, in whatever way you experience them throughout life, just convince you that there is something greater, that we weren't made for this earth because we experience affliction in it, that we're made for Christ. We're made for that journey with him. We're made to end up on that rock that's higher than ourselves. And then when we get there, may we see resurrection on the horizon. So bless you all as you head into these final, I think, four weeks today till Easter Sunday. And um, that's sort of the conclusion of the talk. (laughs) But as you head into this week, may you just take every little hurdle or every big hurdle, everything that only you know you're facing, that, that God knows too. Even if you feel like no one else on the world, on the earth, could possibly understand what it feels like to be you in that moment, and they probably don't, but God does, Jesus does, and he's walking with you on that journey. No matter how many circles it feels like you're going around, no matter if you feel like you're going downhill all the way, although admittedly, wouldn't mind going downhill sometimes, easier on the legs, I think, but you know, we're still getting there, we're still moving forward. So bless you all this week. May you take every little struggle as an opportunity to draw closer to Christ, not further away from him.